You know, I just want to welcome you to Impact Christian Church. I really hope that so far the service and the worship was a blessing to you, an encouragement to you. And if this is your first time at Impact, we just want to welcome you. And we're just so glad that you are here. We just ask if you just take one of those white connect cards in the seat in front of you and fill it out. And you can put it in the offering bag later on as it's passed. But this morning we're continuing our message series of the new, um, I'm sorry, the new ABCs of financial freedom as we talk about choice. The reality that we all have a choice in this adventure and what are you doing with that choice? <clears throat> you know, when I was a kid, I had a dog, a cocker spaniel named Coco. I loved Coco and we lived in the suburbs and we would open up the door and let Coco go out and, and just run around. And I remember on those nice days, we would, I would open up the door and yell, Coco, come here. And she wouldn't come. I saw her in the neighbor's yard sniffing around and playing around. And Coco knew I was calling her, but she wasn't coming. So then I knew I had to go out and get her. So I threw on my, my shoes and I ran across the driveway to the neighbor's yard to try to get her. And I saw what Coco was doing. You know what she was doing? She kept, as she was sniffing around, she kept one eye on me and was watching as I got closer. It was like a tease. You know, I was right there. I'm like, Coco, come here. And I, as soon as I went to grab her, boom, she darted off. And she kept doing it just all through the neighbor's yards. It drove me nuts because you know what she was doing? She goes, I'm going to tease you like I'm following you. Then stubbornly, I'm going to run away. And I wonder how often we live like that with God. We tease him like, God, I'm going to follow you fully. I'm giving you everything that I have. And we keep one eye on him. But then as he gets a little bit too close, we just run off. Like, no, I'm going to do things my way. I want to do this choice. And we, we turn away from God. But you know what? It really is not funny when we play games with whatever God gives to us. Because whether you realize it or not, he's given a lot to you and I. And it's not funny when we play games with that. When we put everything and everyone else before God. I just don't think that's a joke. You know, how can God be so good to us? How can he give so much, yet we ignore him so often? Have you ever thought about that? I mean, how can he give us so much and be so good, yet so often we ignore him? You know, we want God to share with us. We want God to give us all that he has, his kingdom, his blessings, his goodness, his resources, everything that he has. He, we want him to share it with us but yet, let's be honest, we don't share with them too often, do we? It's kind of like a one-way street sometimes that we play this game with God. But everything that we have is from him. James says this in James 1.17, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming, from, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. You see, our mistake is to think that we own what we have, that we rely on ourselves rather than relying on God, because He is the provider of everything that we have. It's the reality of it. You know, everything we have is because of Him. And you may be thinking, well, Bill, I made the advances. I did all these choices. I, I worked hard for what I have in life. Sure you did. I'm sure you worked hard. But God is the one who opened every single door for you. Don't overlook that reality. 
Don't overlook that fundamental truth. Everything we have is from God and a gift from God. Yet we tend to say, I have all these problems because of other people or other things in my life. You know, I once heard a story of this guy who went to visit a doctor because he was experiencing different pains. He went into the doctor's office and he sat down and the doctor said, okay, tell me, what are you experiencing? What pains do you have? And he started pointing over. He said, I have a shoulder pain. I have an elbow pain. I have a back pain. I have a head pain. He started going through his whole body and the doctor said, I see. The doctor took off his glass and he says, I, I figured out the problem. He goes, you did? What's the problem? Your finger's broken. <laughs> you know what we tend to do in life? When we have problems that we're experiencing in life and financially, as we point to everything and everyone else and say, that's my problem. But in reality, our problems are within our own hands. We got to take ownership. Maybe we're the problem. You know, no, no matter what you've been told and no matter who told you, the truth is this, living relentless financial pressure, living with all these bills and burdens and bondage of debt are all consequences of our own choices. We make those choices so often in our life. You know, it's amazing the choices that people make when it comes to money. It's just amazing. And I, I throw myself in that same boat. It's just amazing the choices that we make when it comes to money. Did you know several years ago, James Patterson and Peter Kim published the results of a national survey called The Day America Told the Truth. And in this study, they discovered people who would, what they would do for money. And here are just some of the responses that people said that they would do in order to receive $10 million. You want to hear this? 25% of the people said that they would abandon their entire family for, 20, for $10 million. 23% said they would become a prostitute for a week or more for $10 million. 16% said they would give up their American citizenship if they were given $10 million. Another 16% said they'd leave their spouse for $10 million. Another 10% said they would withhold testimony and let a murderer go free if they were given $10 million. 7% said they'd kill a stranger if they were given $10 million. And 3% said they'd put up their children for adoption for $10 million. You know, that last one, you know, I'm thinking about that one. But seriously, what would you do for $10 million? What would you do? It's unbelievable the choices that we all tend to make for money. The things that we would give up, the choices we would make, and all that we'd, we'd do. You know, it's crazy, but you know what's even more unbelievable? How we believe that somehow we can make choices with no consequences. Please know this, understand this, jot this down. You've heard me say it time and time again. This is so important. Every choice carries a corresponding consequence. Every choice you make has a consequence attached to it. Don't ever overlook that basic truth because it can change your life. If you start thinking about the choices you make and how they can impact you and your future. Yeah, you might get 10 million bucks, but your whole life might fall apart for it. Is it worth it? I mean, think about what we would do for $10 million. Think about the choices you make and the consequences attached to it because a lot of times 
It doesn't bring good consequences, especially choices that don't honor God. When we choose to go opposite of God's direction, it usually doesn't end up too well for us. It just doesn't. If you and I want to change the way things are in our lives, if we want to have financial freedom, if we want to have better consequences in our life, then it starts with us making new choices. It begins there. It's that uh, important. You know, Proverbs 3, the Bible tells us that the choices every one of us need to make, it guides us on a path that we should journey. For some of you, what Solomon says in this writing here will represent some new choices for you. Others, his words will simply reinforce the, the ways that you're living already. For all of us, these are the best choices that we can ever make in our life. Solomon writes this in Proverbs 3, verses 1 through 10. My son, don't, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart. For they will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you, will, then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled with to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. You know, in that passage, in those words that Solomon wrote, you can sum up those things in three very important statements that I want to highlight quickly for you. Number one, remember what God says. Don't forget the words that God provides for us. You know, the struggle is so often we come into a place like this, we celebrate, we hoot and holler for God, we hear his teaching, or we read the Bible, but then we go out into our life and we forget the commands that he gave us to live by. You know, it was once said, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today are Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, then walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. My friends, may we not overlook or forget what God calls us to be, but may we live it out in our lives. Which leads us to the second thing that we learn in there, and that is to trust what God does. <clears throat> trust what God does. You know, trust is the most basic, fundamental, important piece of your foundation in any relationship. It's the most important building block in your life. And it takes years to build that trust so often. And many people in this room are sitting here with broken trust because people in your life broke trust in the relationships in your past. And because of that, you see it in your life, you really struggle in trusting in future relationships. And many times what I see are people use that same mistrust and they latch it onto God because of how other people let us down. But my friends, don't allow that to happen because unlike how others in this world will let us down over and over again, God never does. All throughout the Bible, it's chock full of God coming up over and over again, coming through on his promises. Trust him. Trust him. He's got your back. He's got you. 
the third statement we see from Proverbs 3 is to honor who God is. We need to honor him with our life. You know, in the rest of our time together, I really want to focus on these last two verses, verses 9 and 10 of Proverbs chapter 3, because it provides some great insight. You know, the choice here is pretty clear. To honor the Lord with your wealth is what Solomon is writing. You know, for us, the term honor is more of a sense of pride and emotion that we feel about a positive action that someone may have done for someone else or for some us, something that they have performed in our life. And it's just more of an emotional high in many occasions. But in the Bible times, honor was viewed differently with so much more value than we see today. You know, the Greek word for honor means worth. It means value, but in a literal sense. Honor was a, a culturally constructed evaluation of a person's actions which determined their worth, as in their price or value to the community. So what you do or what you have done provides what value you are to the community, which reveals your honor. So think about it. How valuable is Jesus to you? How valuable is he to you? Think about it. He gave up everything. He left his throne in heaven to come and live in this messed up world to ultimately be sacrificed so that we may see freedom for all eternity. How valuable is he to you? We are called to honor him to live in a life that shows the value of who he is to us. That's honor. So who's Jesus to you? Honor him with our wealth, Solomon says, but even more specific, with the first fruits of all your produce. You know, the New Living Translation of the Bible says to honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything that you produce. You know, that is what we are called to do, what Solomon is saying. It's almost kind of like a canned food drive. How many of you guys have been a part of a canned food drive where you have donated cans of food to some charity or some organization? I bet mostly everybody here has done that. But let's be honest. You don't need to raise your hand, but just be honest with your own self. How many of you, when you have received those bags to donate cans of food to whatever charity you are providing that to, use that as an opportunity to go to your pantry, grab the cans of food that you've been wanting to get rid of for a very long time, you threw them in the bag and you gave them to the charity? It's a win-win, right? Empty out your pantry, help those in need. But what does that really reveal about their value to you? Not a whole lot, does it? You know, and sometimes we treat God like that as well. I'll just get what I want to get rid of anyways. It's a win-win, right? You know, in the Old Testament, when building an altar to honor God and all that he's done, David, King David, had this guy come to him and said, listen, I, I'm going to give you the supplies. I'll provide you the materials. And David said, no way. I am not going to give God something that cost me nothing. But yet, if many of us struggle with that, 
we're appreciative of all that God provides and what he gives to us, but yet we kind of want to give him as little as possible. We want to win-win, live life my way and get his rewards in the same token. But my friends, it just doesn't work that way. If we choose not to give our first fruits the best part of everything that we produce, we're not honoring God. We're not really revealing, Jesus, you're valuable to me. You gave, what you gave up to me means more to me than anything else in this world. How valuable is Jesus to you? Is he merely just worth the leftovers in your, in your, with your resources? Or is he the best thing that you can have in life, the best that you can ever offer? Because he is all that and more. You know, the church is the bride of Christ. Jesus established the church to continue his mission, to be his representation in this world, to reveal hope for all those who come into this place and all those who walk this world. It's his instrument, it's his opportunity of hope. So how valuable is Jesus in his mission to you? You know, Dave Ramsey in his book, How to Have More Than Enough, says this, if you are not tithing, giving God the first 10% of your income, then start today. Make your giving the first check you write at the top of your budget. You know, have you ever considered that perhaps our failure to honor God off the top of our income is one of the reasons that, that we've been struggling financially? Have you ever thought about that? And you may be thinking, a tithe, Bill, how am I supposed to give 10% of my income? I can barely, barely pay my cell phone bill or my cable bill. I just can't make it all work. Maybe you need to get rid of your cell phone. Maybe you need to shut off that cable. But let's not rob God. You see, this all comes down to priorities. How valuable is Jesus to you? How valuable is his mission to you. Do you truly want his hope and his love to be shared with people, not just in this community, but all throughout the world? Have you ever thought about it? I mean, he cared about us so much. He gave up his life. What more can I offer him? You know, sometimes people will say, okay, yeah, Bill, but the New Testament Christians aren't under the Old Testament expectations. You know, we don't have to tithe. We don't have to do all those things. That's Old Testament stuff. Well, you know what? You're right. You're right. Because Jesus raised the expectations in the New Testament. You see, in the Old Testament, they sacrificed their animals. They, they gave the animals for sacrifices. In the New Testament, we are called to be living sacrifices. And over and over again in the New Testament, in Acts, just read it. We see them selling all their possessions to help those in need, to continue the mission. And being living sacrifices, Paul wrote this in Romans 12, verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. To live completely for him. And I know people have come to me over the years and said, Bill, you know, I hear, but all they really talk about in the New Testament is Paul's letter to the Corinthians when we're just to be joyful givers, just as long as we're giving joyfully. But you know one thing I've learned with this whole thing of joyful, joyful givers? Usually those who are saying that or complaining about it aren't really being faithful in what God's calling us to do. 
But those who are truly joyful are being faithful to what God's calling us to be and to do. Because it's a matter of our heart's condition. This reveals the true nature of our heart. You see, my joy, my joy comes with the realization of what Jesus has done for me. What he has given me. And he's given me an opportunity also to be a part of his team. To make a difference in this world. To be a part of something bigger than me. I, you have a chance to do that. You know, but this whole thing, tithing, let's be honest. It's nothing we really like to talk about. And let's be honest, it's not really easy to do. You know, my wife and I, we've been married for 18 years. And throughout our marriage, we have always strived to be faithful in this area of our um, journey with Jesus. And I, let me be honest, it's never been easy. There's always been roadblocks. There's been difficulties along the way. And there's been times in our life when, it's like when we look at the bills and we look at our finances, we look what's coming in and what's supposed to go out. And we're like, there's no way. How will we make it through the next couple of weeks till next payday? I just don't know. But we've always tried to be faithful in that. And even, be, even beyond that, you know what tends to happen sometimes that I saw on my journey? Is you try to have the best of both worlds. You try to, I want to honor Jesus, but I still really want the best of what this world offers. And so you still try to get both of them. You try to do all of it. And then before you know that, guess what happens? When you try, when you get so enthralled with the American dream, it just becomes debt, 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 debt. And then before you know it, it's like, well, how in the world did I compile all that debt? Yeah, I've been there. And then before you know it, you're like, I'm stuck. I can't do this. But you know, my wife and I, we've always strived to be faithful in our commitment to Jesus. We've always tried to do that, even when we did not know how to do, how things would work out. And for me, what I do, when I sit down there and pay my bills, the first thing I write, the first bill, if you want to call it that, is my tithe. You know why I do that? Because I don't want to pay all my bills and then get to the bottom line and then think, oh my goodness, I have two weeks to get through. How is that going to work out? I should withhold the tithe this week. I don't want to do that. And so I make God the first priority. It's kind of an opportunity for me to remember how valuable he is to me. You know what? God has always come through. He's always taken care of us. You know, today we can say that there is no debt in our life. We don't have that overwhelming debt. And we have the opportunity to even do more and more because he is so valuable to us. We want to honor him with our lives and with all that he has provided us. You know, sometimes people will say, well, I'm just praying for God to give me that $10 million check. No, I'm not going to adopt. I'm not going to put my children up for adoption. I'm not going to do that. But if God can just provide me that check, if he can just help me win the lottery, then, then wipe it out, then I'll give to him. But you know why God usually never works that way? Why he never just drops that, that huge opportunity and blessing in your life and say, there you go, now be faithful? Because what God desires more is for our journey with him built upon trust. And trust is not found with the win of a lottery. It's not. You know where trust is found? Step by step with Jesus. And every time we take one more step of faithfulness, he reveals one more step of his goodness. If you just trust him enough, just trust him enough. And see what God 
does in your life. You know, in his greatest sermon ever preached, Jesus made two amazing declarations. First, he said in Matthew 5, 17, that I didn't come to abolish the law or the prophets. I came to fulfill them. And then secondly, in Matthew 5, 19, he basically said, I didn't come to lower expectations. I came to raise them. Look at his exact words in verse 19 of Matthew 5. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. You see, all throughout his writings, all throughout his teachings, Jesus didn't lower expectations. He raised them. Here's some more examples from that same sermon. In Matthew 5, verses 21 through 22, Jesus said... You have heard that it was said of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. You see, he didn't lower expectations. He raised them. In Matthew 5, verses 27 to 28, Jesus said, You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. You see, he didn't lower expectations. He raised them. Matthew 5, 38 through 42. Jesus said, you have heard that it is said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, and Jesus goes on to encourage us not to seek revenge or retaliation, but to go the extra mile, to build each other up, to regain those relationships. Go ahead, read it for yourself. You see, he didn't lower expectations. He raised them. In Matthew 5, 43 through 44, Jesus said, You have heard that it was said, you shall, not, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. You see, Jesus didn't lower expectations. He raised them over and over and over again. So if Jesus did not come to abolish the law or the prophets, he came to raise the expectations, not lower them. So what did he say about tithing? Matthew 23, verse 23, Jesus said this, Woe to you, teachers of the law, and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, cumin, but you have neglected the more important matter to the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. Jesus said, you know, over and over again, Jesus gave us some very important instructions of how to trust him, how to follow him, how to seek him. You know, my friends, I know this type of a topic is not one that we all enjoy listening to. It's not one that we, is our favorite message to hear. But you know, throughout the gospels, throughout Jesus' teaching, he gave some very important instructions that we cannot overlook, that we cannot disregard, that we cannot push to the side. We need to fully follow him. Here's some other examples in, in the New Testament. In Jesus' same sermon where he gave some key points about money and giving. In Matthew 6, verses 19 through 20, Jesus said this, Don't lay up treasures for yourselves on earth, but lay up treasures in heaven. You know, why would anyone want to keep everything for themselves? I mean, think about it. What can you really take with you? How valuable is all this stuff that's going to be old and rugged and, and rusted in a few years? How valuable is that? 
You know, before there was Billy Graham, there was Billy Sunday. And I always say, you know, there's Billy Sunday, there's Billy Graham, and there's another Billy coming, right? Okay, forget it. But Billy Sunday once said, if we could take it with us, it would melt where some of us are going. You know, what's the point? What's the point? You know, what is your ultimate financial goal in life? In the era of professional sports and free agency, we have recently witnessed some of the most craziest and ridiculous contracts in Major League Baseball with $300 million contracts being, let, being given out. But seriously, what would you do if you were given all that money? And you know the statistics of athletes who blow their money is crazy alarming. You know, just to name a few, Mike Tyson blew $400 million. Evander Holyfield blew $250 million. Kurt Schilling blew $115 million. Terrell Owens blew $80 million. The truth is this. There's none of us driving a U-Haul to heaven. None of us. So what's the point with all the wealth and all the stuff we gather up in this world? What is the point? You know, Jesus said this. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. You know what Jesus is really saying here? Use your wealth, use your resources to reach people for Christ, to share his hope, and then they'll thank you one day in heaven. That's what I long for. All the stuff I gather up in this world, it's going to be gone one day, worthless. But you know what? I have the opportunity to be a part of something bigger than me. And one day, when I am walking on the streets of gold in the most beautiful resort ever could imagine called heaven, I will have the opportunity to walk those streets of gold and have people come running up to me who I've never met, who have no idea who they are, that says, Bill, you don't know me. You don't know my name. But because you were faithful, because you gave, I'm here. I'm here because of you. How cool would that be? How valuable is that? You can't measure that value. That's so much, that worth is so much more than anything you could ever buy in this world. How great that would be one day. I long for that day, not just to walk the streets of gold, but to meet all the people that maybe my faithfulness had an opportunity to share his hope so that they could be there too. Who are you going to bring to the resort of heaven with you? Think about it. We have that chance. That's what's valuable to me. And so often we create a financial mess because we have warped priorities. But what if we truly followed God's plan? Making him the priority of our finances. Making the focus to store up our treasures in heaven rather than in this world. Sharing his hope with everybody that we possibly can. You see, this all boils down to a heart issue. It's saying, Jesus, you are the most valuable thing in my life. You hold all the honor because of what you have done. And my greatest desire is to see your mission accomplished. I want everybody that possibly can be in heaven with me. And I don't want to miss this chance. Where do you store your treasures up? 
Another thing that Jesus said in Matthew 6, 21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. To continue on that same thought, it all is a heart issue. You know, someone once said, you can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. There's truth in that, my friends. You know, Jesus made it clear that what we give and how we give it reveals the reality of our hearts. It does. Where's your heart? Jesus also said in Matthew 6, verses 25 through 32, don't worry about how you're going to get your needs met. My Father will meet them all. This goes back to that level of trust. How much do you trust Jesus to truly take care of you? And how much are you trying to live your life to take care of yourself? Because it usually doesn't work out too well. Trust him. You know, Paul said this, this isn't your notes, but Philippians 4, he said, And my God will supply every need of, your, of yours according to his great riches in glory in Christ Jesus. You know, we cannot overlook the reality. God promises something. He will promise to take care of you. He will promise to take care of your needs. But I think the struggle for many of us, myself included, is we don't know what our needs are and what our wants are. And here's the reality. God promises to take care of our needs. But he does not promise to get, provide our wants. There's a big difference. Do you trust him enough? And finally, Matthew 6, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Make God, make Jesus the priority of your life. You put it another way, Solomon said, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce, then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. You know, if we're going to if we're going to achieve financial freedom in our life, we've got to change our attitude. We need to avoid the bondage of debt and we need to choose to honor God with our wealth. How do we do that? Just like Solomon said, to honor the Lord with your wealth. And with the first fruits of all your produce, then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. We are called to honor the Lord. In other words, declare him as king. You know, Solomon says, declare God king over your wealth with the first, first fruits of all you have, then you will have more than you will ever need. So how are we going to give God the first fruits? By faithfully giving him at least a tithe of our income. You know, a tithe is 10% of whatever God blesses us with each week or each month or whatever it may be. And the greatest thing that you can do to turn your financial situation around is to start with the choice of trusting God and to begin tithing. And see what God begins to do. You know, Peter Marshall was a former chaplain of the United States Senate, and he once told a story of this gentleman at church who decided to trust God with his finances and began to tithe. And every week, this gentleman tithed faithfully to his local church, and God began to bless his business. And the blessings got so big, he became very prosperous. And one day, he came to Dr. Marshall and he said, Dr. Marshall, I have a problem. 
You see, when I was making $20,000 a year, it was easy to tithe $2,000. But now I'm making $500,000 a year, and I just can't tithe $50,000 a year. That's, that's just too much. I, I'm just, that's just a problem. And Dr. Marshall said, yeah, I, I see you do have a problem. Can, can we pray about it? And the guy said, yeah, sure. And so Dr. Marshall and the man bowed their head, and Dr. Marshall began to pray. Dear Lord, this man has a problem, and I want to pray that you help him. Lord, please reduce his salary back to where he can afford to tithe. (laughs) You know, we can play games with the money God gives to us, but we're not going to win. We will never win doing life our way. It just won't work. But trust him. Trust him. See what doors he opens up. See what blessings he brings into your life. See how he takes care of you. You know, don't forget the importance of Proverbs 3. Remember what God says. Trust what God does. Honor who God is. And some of us have been conditioned to think that financial problems are a way of life, that just live it out, man, because that's the way life is. But it really isn't. Don't believe that lie. It's not true. Don't fall into that trap. Proverbs 10.22 tells us the blessing of the Lord makes us rich and he adds no sorrow with it. And then 2 Chronicles 26.5, speaking of Uzziah, it's written, as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. You see this, my friends? The choice is ours. And if you're serious about getting out of debt and turning your financial situation around, Make tithing the centerpiece of your financial plan. Trust God enough and see what he does in you and through you. Watch what he does. You know, God says, if we bring the full tithe into the storehouse, he'll open the windows of heaven and pour out so much blessings that we won't have enough room for it. Jot this down, my friends. Live this out. Understand this. You can live your life by chance or by choice. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? I don't want to live my life by chance anymore. I want to choose Jesus. You know why? Because I believe with all my heart there's not a chance in the world that you're going to find a better way. There's just not.